cool. All right, so tonight, I don't have a microphone strapped to my face because I am not speaking tonight. We have uh, a cool new series, and so here's where we're going for the next couple weeks. We're going in a series called Radical, and for the next three weeks, we're going to focus on a radical life, a radical love, and a radical mission to take what we've been entrusted with as Christians, that message, and to live a radical life that makes a difference in the world. And so uh, this summer, I have the pleasure of spending some uh, ministry time with a guy named Ben Aylshire, who's going to be interning uh, with me here to help us out. And so uh, ben, come on up here, Ben. And so Ben, um, yeah, give Ben a hand. And so Ben uh, and I were talking about this series, and uh, I had been so busy with all the weekend's preparations. I'm like, man, I'm, I don't know. I'm spitballing here, man. Here's some stuff. And Ben's like, dude, I got the whole thing written out. Here's what we should do. And he's like, here, you can use this if you want. I said, dude, I'm not going to preach that. You preach it. And so that's basically God gave a message uh, to Ben, and uh, I thought, man, uh, Lance gave me a shot in the pulpit a couple weeks ago, so why would I not let Ben uh, use the gifts and the call God's put on his life to share with you all? And so tonight, Ben's going to share uh, that, that first message message, a radical life that we need to have together. And so uh, I'm just going to pray for Ben too real quick, uh, and then we will uh, jump in tonight and let him uh, lead us in God's word. God, we thank you for your servant, Benjamin, and we thank you for uh, just his life, God. It's been so cool to see he and Lindsay. Um, when I got here, God, they were engaged and on their way to marriage, and now they're married, Father, and uh, you're moving them forward in their life together, God, uh, especially uh, their life for you as they dream about the future, God. And we don't know what that holds, but we know for now that you've entrusted Ben uh, to us here at Bridgeway, God. We pray that you would uh, sharpen all the tools you've blessed him with for ministry, God, and that you would share uh, his heart with us, God, in a way that would change our lives to help us to live more radically for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so this is going to get a little bit thick and heady and dense tonight, so I hope you guys can bear with me. We're going to be going through a pretty good chunk of scripture. Um, so, but to start off, we're going to uh, start off with a little bit of philosophy, if that's cool with you guys. I know you guys are probably like philosophy. Whoop de doo. Um, all right. Atheist philosophers for hundreds of years have been searching for the answer to one question in particular, and that question is this: What is the meaning to this life? As a matter of fact, what is the meaning to any kind of life at all? Plants, animals, humans, right? They hold true to their belief that there is no God, and then that results in them holding to the belief that Earth began because of a process including three things, matter, time, and chance, right? In their eyes, life is nothing but complete and utter randomness that somehow came to be. Uh, with this being the case, with, with this being their beliefs, they came to the conclusion that this life is chalked up to nothing but complete absurdity. Now, I want to ask a question. If that's the case, if this life is chalked up to nothing but complete randomness and absurdity, then, then what's the point? What's the point in our lives? Luckily, there's a flip side to that scenario, and that scenario is this, that God exists and that God created the universe and the cosmos and everything in it, and that he created life. That somehow specks of dust didn't just turn into cells, which turned into tissues, which turned into organs, like our heart that pumps blood throughout our entire bodies. And because God exists and because he created us, then like anything that is created, we then have meaning and purpose. Think about it. The dollar bill, useful equipment that you use at your work, and beautiful art, it all has some kind of meaning and purpose. So then do we, us, humanity, also have a purpose. Do you guys see the contrast? 
If there is no God, then life is just complete absurdity. If there is God, then we have meaning to life. If there's no God, then there's no point in life. God, there's a point to life. So with this logically, um, then atheists should then live as, uh, as if they have no point to life, as if life is not really very important at all. And then Christians or believers, people who believe in God, should then live with some kind of radical sense to their lives. But you see, with this rises the issue. I know of many, many atheists out there that are amazing, great people, right? That are out there serving the homeless and they're starting charity organizations and really kicking a lot more money towards charities than, than a lot of churches are. Um, I think we can all agree that a lot of atheists out there are, can be really good people, yeah? Um, and then on the flip side of this, this, this is where it gets bad. We've got Christians who are living as if they are atheists, as if they believe that God does not exist, right? If they're living without any kind of significant meaning in their life, then they would be living like atheists, according to philosophy and according to that logic. Um, so with this uh, comes, actually comes our, our first discussion question. Why are people who believe in God just living in order to get by? Why are people who believe in God not really living their lives with any meaning? I'll give you guys about like five minutes to discuss amongst your tables and uh, then we'll pull it back here. All right, so I want to hear about what some of you guys came up with. Uh, I think we got a couple guys with microphones walking around. Uh, so choose something uh, at your table that someone said that was really cool and profound uh, and go ahead and talk about it. Um, just go ahead and raise your hand if you want to talk and the guys with the microphones will bring it to you. Okay. Um, so our table we discussed um, there's like multiple factors in it. I think a lot of people, they want to, you know, live with the norm of uh, American culture, which is if I'm a Christian, I will equal a good person. Um, a lot of times people who live their lives, um, they don't realize that they're not living without meaning because they ask someone else, like, what does Christianity mean or what does following God mean? And that person doesn't know and they give them that you know, bogus definition, and then they follow or whatever. Um, and a lot of times people will compartment, we discussed the compartmentalize God. They put God like, yep, thanks God for, you know, <laughs> being in my life and taking care of stuff and party on on the other side. So there's that aspect as well. And yeah, there's just kind of the couple of things that we talked about. So. Sweet. Um, we just talked about um, how in America, especially, we are all so busy that we kind of push God aside and we stress out about just little things instead of letting God handle it. Um, in America, it's like we're all such individuals and we have to do all of our own stuff and handle our own things that we even forget about being like, God, help us with this stuff. And we're just stressing out like, mm. oh, I, like for me, I'm in school, so I have to get these classes and I have to work and like all this different stuff. And I just try to do it all on my own. And then I get stressed out, and I'm just, like, crazy. But if I just give it up to God, you know, and be like, God, you're in control of everything. Why am I trying to control my life like I have no control? You know, it just, like, completely turns your mind around. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's just the way, like, our minds think, I think, especially as Americans. Like, 
is trying to control everything. Kind of like forces you into autopilot, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So just taking like a break instead of being too busy to and like pushing God out of your life, be like, hey, I'm so busy, like I need God, you know. Mm. So we talked about. Cool. Uh, two um, more people. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Oh. Good contribution, Joe? Stacey. <laughs> um, I was gonna say, um, uh, probably. Whoa, 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 whoa! Yeah. <laughs> over here. I didn't know there's rules to holding the mic. Sorry. I didn't get the intro or the uh, information on the way in. Anyways, but um, for me personally, uh, I can speak, uh, yeah, from experience. I wasn't, ra I was raised Catholic, uh, but I was atheist. I used to fight Christians, and then I came to a stage of agnosticism. I was like, I know there's a higher power, but I would, I would believe if you're in this room and you're not a believer, you're on the fringe. Our friends and family knew, like I did, that were on that fringe place. There's something inherent. Uh, I'm sorry, inherently to the core of us because we're wired, we're made in God's image, and you know there's a cost. You, and we're all self-centered, all of us, no matter if you call yourself a Christian or whatever. We're all self-centered. And for me, personally, uh, I knew that inherently if I was going to believe and have a relationship with the higher power, with God, uh, that there was going to be a sacrifice. And I wasn't willing to make it. Um, and then Jesus showed up, and that all changed. <laughs> so... When it, we talked about a lot of the same things that other people talked about, but one of the big things is that it's really easy to just be complacent in your life because um, serving God takes work. You know, um, you have to put it into your schedule and you have to take effort and sometimes it takes money that you would rather spend on something else and it takes your time and your energy. But um, really at the end, it's just so worth it once you actually do it, but getting yourself to that spot and taking parts of your week instead of spending it on your to-do list or working or school or what have you, just taking that time and setting it aside for God is so important. I mean, in other cultures, like I went to Uganda in January and like they make time for work, but the rest of the time is for God. And it was so cool to see that. And so, um, I think just never being okay with how things are and always wanting to, to do something more with your life and not be complacent and not just say like, oh, I'm comfortable right now. That's, that's how it's going to be. And it's really easy to do that. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for all your guys' answers. Um, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to see what Jesus says about this, because uh, that seems wise in church. Um, Jesus, being the genius that he is, has already addressed this issue. Uh, there was one phrase that comes up five times throughout uh, the four Gospels, and by Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for those of you who are new to the Bible. Uh, it's the first four books in the New Testament. There's one phrase that comes up five times, twice in Matthew's account. Um, and it's actually really unique that it comes up all four times, uh, in, I mean in all four Gospels, because the Gospel of John is 92% unique and only 8% of the Gospel of John shows up in the other Gospels. So you know that whatever shows up in that 8% is really important. Um, so buckle up because we've got a lot of scripture to look at and it's going to get bit thick, heady, dense. Uh, but if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's stop right here just, just for one second here. Um, we all agree that Jesus died on a cross, right? That's 
pretty much like common knowledge in church, hopefully. Um, and now right here, as he's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, if anyone wants to follow me, then he has to pick up his cross and follow me. Let me ask a question. Is Jesus right here predicting the way that he would die? I, w- I wouldn't say uh, yes or no. It-, it could really go either way, and this is the reason why. It was absolutely common knowledge by anybody that lived in a Roman province in that time and day that um, the-, the Romans' common method of execution was crucifixion. So with that being said, the, um, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, right, it's not like they're like, it's flying over their heads and they're thinking, man, what the heck is this guy talking about? What is a cross? I don't know what that is. They knew exactly what he's talking about. They knew that he was t- at the intensity of which he was talking about was life and death. And then he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This right here, guys, this is the key verse that shows up the five times in the gospel. This verse right here is money. This is where it's all at. This is where Jesus gives a remedy to someone who's living a life without meaning. That is, to give up their life completely. And he's a philosophical genius, really, because he knows that all meaning of the universe comes from God. So then if that's the case, then we should give our lives up to God completely if that's where, if he is the source of all meaning in life and of the universe, then that is exactly where our lives should be completely and 100% invested into. Another way of saying this verse, uh, which is kind of like a paraphrase from the New Living Translation, is like, whoever clings to his life will lose it, but whoever lets go of his life for God's sake will find true and everlasting life. A little bit melodramatic. Uh, yeah, some of us would think so. Um, but it's what Jesus demands. Uh, the first fill in the blank is Jesus demands our lives. And then he continues. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And I'm thinking like mansions and fast cars and lots of money and lots of girls or lots of guys if that's what you're into or whatever the case may be. Um, and what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory or the presence of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Basically, did you give your life to Jesus completely or not? You know, I don't think that Jesus is going to like come back to earth and say like, hey, so I got a question. Uh, so did you like kind of believe in me? I just, I don't think that that's going to fly for Jesus. I think he's going to ask something more along the lines of, did you sacrifice yourself for me the way that I sacrificed myself for you? Or he might just say, did you die for my sake altogether? Now I'm not saying at all that we have to have all of the right answers or have lived life perfectly because God knows that I will never, ever be there by the time that Jesus comes back. Um, but regardless of our flaws and regardless of how much we mess up along the way, did we follow Jesus with that intensity, at the intensity of life or death? Uh, Thinking about this, about following Jesus at this intensity, uh, I think about where exactly following Jesus will lead us. And maybe more importantly for some of us in here, um, what would Jesus cause us to leave behind? which is exactly where our our second discussion question is going. If you had to give up everything in your life, 
what would be the hardest thing to give up for following Jesus? All right. Sweet. I want to hear what you guys came up with. For anyone that wants to share, just, yeah, there you go. Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> I wish I had some for you, man. Um, what comes to my mind is Luke chapter 5, where um, Jesus calls uh, Simon Peter, you know, come follow me and be fishers of men. And he asks them to leave everything behind to come follow them. And when I think of that, I don't think I could leave my friends or my family. That would just terrify me to just follow Jesus. So. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Hello. I'm the guy in the back. <laughs> so this is kind of hard because uh, like there's so many things that you feel like if you have it in place in your life you feel secure and but like even though I don't like my job you know if I lost my job I know how like depressed and without meaning I'd feel because I was without a job at one time and I felt that way so maybe that yeah. <laughs> he totally stole mine. <laughs> but that's all right. Um, I love my job. And I know that probably sounds really weird, but I, if God would be like, hey, Ashley, I want you to quit your job and go serve me here, that would be really hard for me. Because I wanted to do this since I was in third grade, and I worked really hard for it, and now I'm doing it, and I love it, and it's fulfilling, and it would just be really hard to give that up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just for the record, uh, working is biblical, so I hope no one just goes and quits their jobs. <laughs> uh, we'll take uh, one more. Um, so I, with the with the last question, I really liked all the answers, but... Um, it sort of seemed like the answers were more fitting for um, the right meaning of life. Mm. So uh, the hardest thing for me to leave behind would probably be um, my education. Mm. I like big words. I like using the thesaurus. I like using the dictionary. I like learning. And um, I think it's because um, for so long I've decided that the meaning of my life would be to learn or to get smarter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And then so um, I think the hardest thing to leave behind for anyone is what they label themselves to be other than Christian. Wow. Yeah, like their identity completely. Sweet. Um, cool. Thanks for your guys' answers. Um, well, let's see what the Son of God has to say about this. Um, in, if you would, please turn to the left six chapters in your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we're going to go to uh, verse 34. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I'm thinking like, wait, Jesus, what are you talking about? I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Does that verse like 
shock other people whenever they read that. I've, I don't know how many times I've read that verse, and it still shocks me, like, every time I read that. I think that the biggest reason that that verse shocks people is because a lot of people think of Jesus to be some kind of, like, wussy pants. <laughs> or they think of him to be, like, hippie Jesus that walks around with dreadlocks and says, Kumbaya, myself. Kumbaya. <laughs> uh, or, like, buddy Jesus winking and saying, hey, you only live once, so live it up, Right? Um, fortunately, Jesus calls us his friends, right, which is humbling and amazing, really, if you think about it. Uh, but I think that Jesus wants to be more than just our homeboys. Um, he didn't come to bring pre- peace to the earth, but he came to bring a sword. I think that Jesus wants to be our king and our commander. Now, if that's the case, if Jesus wants to be our king and our commander, then what does that make us? It makes us soldiers, and all of us together, it would make us an army, an army that uh, are willing to follow Jesus into dark places, who are ready to fight in a war. And ladies, that doesn't exempt you. I know it sounds kind of macho, but we all got to sign on the dotted line. Um, but what exactly does signing on the dotted line, what exactly does that entail? Uh, to continue this, Jesus says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And in one sense, I'm thinking, man, like, that is really scary. And then in the other sense, I'm thinking, at least I don't got to please my (laughs) in-laws. Just for the record, I love my father-in-law. Hi, babe. Um... And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother, which can be translated daddy or mommy, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, I'm thinking, wow, Jesus is really not making friends at this point. But think about it for a second. Does joining the military in today's day and age, does that entail people leaving their families behind? Yeah, it does. It happens all the time. Uh, For some people, it's really hard because they like the comfort that their family provides. Mom and dad, right? Mom cooks and dad works on the 1969 Dodge Charger with you and life is good. And for others of us, leaving our family is not not really that difficult. Um, uh, Some of us... Uh, here's the thing, though. What Jesus is asking is not just as simple as just leaving your family to go join the military or something like that. He's telling us to branch off from our families for a cause. And here's the thing. If your parents think you are crazy for following this revolutionary Jesus of Nazareth, you will never hear the end of it. Either that or you'll get shut out completely. I actually know that from, from experience. When I was 18 years old, I told my dad that I wanted to go into ministry with my life and I had to pull the phone away from my ear lest I would have blown an eardrum because he was yelling so loud. Um, so, uh, but either way, no matter what, we can always take refuge in the fact that our relationship with God is more important than any other relationship. That Jesus is actually more important than any other person that we can have a relationship. Why? Because Jesus demands our allegiance, which is our second fill in the blank.
Now, thinking practically here, we are a sanctuary full of young adults. And a lot of us live with our parents. Now, is living with our parents a bad thing? No, absolutely not. It's not a bad thing. But I have to ask you, is living with your parents making it harder for you to live out your faith? Is it making it harder for you to radically follow Jesus with your life? And if that is the case, then I would suggest maybe it's time to pack up and get the heck out. Uh, when I was 18, I, uh, I lived in my car for a month. Uh, it was a 1986 Nissan Stanza. It was a station wagon with sliding doors. You could call it a mini minivan. I called it the Stanzinator. It was awesome. And I bought it for like 500 bucks, and there was little pieces of it falling off in random places, and I later gave that car to my older brother for free. But um, it was totally worth it. Living in that car for a month was absolutely worth it. Uh, there's no way that I was moving back into my mom's house, I'll tell you that for sure. Um, but that sometimes that is the extent that we have to go to in order to be in a place where we can avoid the drama so that we can better follow our king and commander. Cool. Sweet. Well, um, that's all I had for, for Matthew chapter 10. Uh, if you want to turn with me to Mark, it's the very next book in the Bible. If you hit Luke, you've gone too far. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 through 38. He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yep, cool, got it. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Awesome, Mark adds the gospel in here. I love that language. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Cool, we've heard that before, but what comes next, guys? What comes next is, is crucial here. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory or the presence of his Father with the holy angels. If we're ashamed of Jesus, then he's going to be ashamed of us. He's getting a bit harsh now, isn't he? Um, yet he pretty much hits the nail on the head. How often are we ashamed to share our faith and our work or with our friends or with our family? And the consequences would not even be death. Sharing our faith will not even get us into this position where our arms are strapped down by leather straps and we're brought up by hinges and pistons to expose the tubes taped to our arms with the needles punctured into our veins to pump poison into our bloodstreams. Sharing our faith will not even get us into that position. It will not even get us executed, not in today's day and age. Yet we are still so afraid to share our faith. But what it will do, it might get us dumped, it might get us laughed at, we might get called names, uh, we might get disowned by our families or get in arguments. These are the things that sharing our faith could do, but it, either way you slice it, Jesus asked us to, to share our faith, to follow him at the intensity of life and death, these things are merely child's play. But no matter what the consequences, whether it's, you know, I mean, losing your job is, is a pretty big deal, right? It's still a big deal. Even today, that is still a big deal. But no matter what the consequences, Jesus demands that we have courage, which is the third fill in the blank. Now, um, 
a couple days ago, uh, it was, I was at the men's discipleship group, and uh, Ryan was sharing out of, out of the book of Joshua. And in the first nine verses in Joshua, God commands Joshua to have courage. He tells him to be very strong and courageous three times in the first nine verses. Um, I know that I might be using like, you know, language like demand and command and all this stuff, and a lot of us are really put off by that. But how cool is God that he commands us to have courage? I mean, that's something that all of us want anyways. I don't know. I just, I just think that's cool. Uh, now, I would also go through uh, the passage in Luke, but for the sake of time and for the fact that there's not much new information that we haven't already gone over, uh, we're going to skip it. But let me ask a question. Does Jesus take following him intensely at the, at, at the intensity of life and death, does he take it seriously? Yes, he does. And I would argue that so does Paul. So please turn to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 20, or go there in your phones like I see like at least half of you doing. Um, I've got no room to speak. I've got an iPad up here. Um, while you guys are turning there, I want to lay down some background information. Why, where is Paul as he is writing the letter to the Philippians? He's in a prison. He's in a prison in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. Now, knowing Paul, this probably seems to him like a vacation. He's like, man, this is awesome. I got to chill out for a bit, crank out a few letters. And knowing, knowing the mind of Paul, he's probably like, yes, I get to share the love of Jesus with this guard that I'm chained to. Awesome. So as we try to get into that like, intensity and crazy mindset of Paul, uh, we read in Philippians 1, verse 20, it says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, the king will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is the king and to die is gain. Now you've got to imagine here, as these words come across to the hearer's the hearers' minds, a rich businesswoman came and delivered this letter from Paul uh, from the prison to Philippi, where they're all at. And they hear these words. It says, Tazen Christos, Ta'apathanon Kerdas. Right? And that is the Greek translated literally into the English. It says, To live the king, to die gain. And people are probably thinking, like, wow, Paul, now that is intense. Um, a, a Bible scholar by the name of Gerald F. Hawthorne put those words this way. He said, Life is filled up with, occupied with, Christ, in the sense that everything Paul does, trusts, loves, hopes, obeys, preaches, follows, and so on, is inspired by Christ and is done for Christ. Christ and Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose to existence. Now that is probably what was going on. That is probably what the people in Philippi really heard as they heard Tazen Christos, Ta'apathanon Kerdos. So yes, life or death on behalf of the king all in. But that does not stop Paul from sharing with the Philippians kind of the torment that is going on in his soul. Right after that he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed or torn between the two. My desire, right, this is where Paul is saying what he really wants. My desire is to depart or to take up anchor and set sails and be with the king, for that is far better. What is he saying here? He's basically, yeah, he's saying that it'd be better 
to, to move on, to die, and to go to heaven where God rules, where he can hang out with Jesus and get ready to wreak havoc. <laughs> um, when I think of this mindset, I think of people that have been martyred or killed on behalf of the gospel. So I googled famous quotes from famous martyrs, and I actually came up with a really awesome quote. It says this, I tell you this so you won't be ashamed by my death. If you love me, you will rejoice that God has called me to this honor, which is greater than any earthly honor I could ever attain. Who wouldn't be happy to die for this cause? I trust in my Lord God who put his mind, will, and affection in my heart and choose to lose all my worldly substance and my life to rather than deny his known truth. He will comfort me, aid me, and strengthen me forever, even to the yielding of my spirit and soul into his hands. That was uh, Bishop Nicholas Ridley. He was burned at the stake in Oxford, England in 1555. I absolutely love that projection of like a similar mindset that Paul is in here. Um, but now I, I know what some of you are probably thinking. You're probably thinking, okay, Ben, that's nice. And, and Paul, thanks for sharing like the mindset of a martyr. But you're thinking, we're not exactly getting executed here. You know, we're, uh, we're in America for crying out loud. We're not getting our heads chopped off or anything like that. Yeah, all right. I, I get it. I understand that. Um, I will admit that it, it is kind of difficult for us in, in a place that is actually very nice to get into this, this mindset, right, especially in America. Um, and I will admit that it's a little bit easier for people that uh, have been like on like the brink of suicide and struggle with depression to really get into this mindset. Um, but if, if we could actually get into this mindset, then we could get into the radical mindset of Jesus and Paul. Um, then it will be easier for us to tell the difference between the decisions that are advancing the kingdom of God and which ones are not. Let me ask you a question. Is a dead person concerned with having a nice car? Is a dead person concerned with having a lot of money or a big house or a hot wife or husband? Or are they concerned with what people think of them? Do they count their time as too valuable to stop for a second and help a crippled stranger take out the trash? Um, the idea is this, that living radically is completely counterintuitive, 100% counterintuitive than uh, what we would really think is actually wise sometimes. Think about it. What's wise? Save up a lot of money. What's radical? Give a lot of money away. Um, what's, what's wise? Marry a nice little Christian girl who grew up in the church. What's radical? Marry a hooker that's been transformed by God's love. That is not what I did, by the way. I'm just going to let you guys know. <laughs> What's wise? Live with safety in your life and preserve as many years as possible. What's radical? Count yourselves as good as dead for the sake of the king. But do you want to know why I think this kind of mindset is actually so counterintuitive for us? Uh, I, I think it's because us by nature, uh, humanity, we're, we're so narcissistic. And I'm right there, man. I'm probably the most narcissistic person in this room. Uh, I mean, look, you guys are all looking at me right now. Um, I, uh, seriously, I think that the universe revolves around Ben. There was one time when I was a teenager and my stepdad and I got into like some kind of argument and, uh, I said, you can't tell me what to do. And he goes, oh yeah, and why is that? And I said, cause I'm Ben Aylshire. <laughs> tell me about narcissism to the max, seriously. But I'm sure that some of you are way worse. 
in my humble opinion, which is right. Um, but, what I, but what I really want to point out here is how Paul is able to get himself into this new mindset altogether. And watch what he says next. He says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is not at all concerned here about his own life, uh, but the life of others. He's concerned with encouraging them to glorify God and encouraging others to follow and show the presence and the beauty of Jesus in the place around them. And then after he says that, he charges them. uh, He charges this to them as a community. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of the king. Now, I know at first this does not exactly seem like a charge to the community. It seems more like a personal charge, like he's just telling each person individually, like, let your manner of of life be worthy of the gospel. Um, But only let your manner of life be worthy. Those words right there actually translate back to the Greek into one word, uh, and it's polytusthene. Can you say say polytusthene? Good job. You guys are becoming Bible scholars already. Um, <clears throat> that, that word is actually translated, it's where we get the word politics, uh, which can be translated live as good citizens or take an active part in government or get really involved in public affairs. Uh, many good Bible scholars like yourselves have come to the conclusion that the first option is the, the proper translation uh, rather than the other two. They think that the best translation for that, that part of that verse um, in the English uh, goes like this. Live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Now this, uh, here's the thing. Uh, in the Roman Empire, this was a common phrase. This was not a phrase that was used by Christians, but it was used by whenever Rome would be expanding, the Roman Empire would be expanding. Um, This would be like their their common thing because the gospel translates back to the word euangelion. Can you say euangelion? Sweet. This is awesome. Um, And that actually translates to the word uh, evangelism, right? You can... It can be evangelism or the gospel or the good news. It all kind of fits in there. But the the concept is this, that wherever they went, no matter what, they would spread Rome to those places because they had colonies. They had colonies all over uh, around them. And the idea is this, that Paul is not saying this on behalf of Nero, who was in charge, who was the emperor at that time. Instead, he's saying this on behalf of Jesus. He's saying, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. And if they're not a colony of Rome, then what are they? Then they are a colony of heaven, moving and making disciples and soldiers and getting ready to fight in a war in the area around them, in Philippi. Um, um, So, with this being said, this idea that, that we can be a colony of heaven... And we're not, we're not in Rome, but we're in Rockland, California. Uh, I want to point one thing out real quick. We're not, we're not on the defense. We're not worried about getting our head chopped off or anything like that or getting burned at the stake. 
uh, we're not on the defense. So what does that mean? That means that we have the chance to actually be on the offense. How are we then on the offense? We can be on the offense by practical, radical forms of love, which Ryan is actually going to get into next week. It's going to be really awesome. Um, so stay, uh, come for that. Stay in tune for that. Um, so with that being said, thinking of us as a colony of heaven, uh, I want to turn to the, don't, don't worry about turning there. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, just close your eyes, relax for a second. Um, I'm going to read this to you guys. Uh, the last account that that, verse, uh, that that verse comes up in the Gospel of John, uh, it goes like this. It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You guys can open your eyes now. What a beautiful illustration by Jesus. You see, he understood what it meant to be counterintuitive. He knew that he had to die in order to overcome death. He knew that he had to go into the ground in order to produce many crops. He had to die in order to create a colony of heaven right here on earth. But guys, I've got news for you that Jesus is back from the dead. And because Jesus is back from the dead, then we too may rise to new life with him, and we too may be a colony of heaven and advance and have practical love and spread heaven amongst us. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for tonight, Lord, and... Um, and this opportunity that uh, you've given me to be able to uh, share your word with these people, uh, many of them that I know and, and love. And um, God, I just pray and I ask that um, as we worship you, Lord, um, that if there's anybody who is really thinking about what it means to give up their life on behalf of you, Lord, in order that you can really use them and, and really take control of their lives, Lord. I just ask that you would be moving in their hearts. I ask that they would respond to you uh, during worship as we continue in worship, Lord. Um, and uh, God, we just love you and we praise you, Lord. And uh, we pray all this, Lord, in your son Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.
Amen. Would you be seated? Wow, what a good night. I love you guys. Let's give uh, thanks to Joel and the band for helping out tonight. And then let's also thank, say thank you and big thanks for me to Ben Aleshire for uh, his leadership tonight and speaking. You guys rock, man. This place rocks. Like through and through, no matter how you slice it, this place rocks. And I love it here. And so uh, we are uh, super glad uh, to be starting off this series with you. Um, it's going to be cool, man. I mean, that radical orientation that Ben just took us through tonight, that identity, that meaning, that purpose is orienting us uh, for the things that will follow. So come and finish out this series with us. Next week, Radical Love, like Ben mentioned, it's going to be uh, a good time for us to understand how to live with that meaning, that purpose in practical ways in the context God's placed us in. So we'll see you all next week for that. And on the way out the door tonight, please don't forget to sign up, kind of a soft sign up for the BYA Summer Discipleship uh, Retreat, okay? So like I said, August 17th through the 19th, if you need to lock that into your little uh, phone calendar right now to save the date, do that. The cost is going to be less than $150, but more than $100, okay? So it depends if we can get uh, uh, some big, big name people in there if you guys have to settle for me. So we'll see how it goes. And then uh, last but not least, we have a setup crew sign up there. If you're interested in joining setup, but you're afraid to come without being contacted first, sign up. And then secondly, that Russia mission trip to be crazy people going to dark corners of Russia to share the gospel uh, with people who are addicted to, uh, to drugs and to sex and to hard life, uh, then you can just sign up for that out there, okay? So that's all we have for you tonight. Thank you so much for being here. If you'd help us by cleaning up the tables, we'll bring all the table stuff up here on the front. We'll fold up the tablecloths. We'll roll the tables onto carts. We'll put the chairs back in rows. You know the drill. Do what the person next to you is doing. Just don't do nothing, okay? So we love you guys. We'll see you all next Tuesday night. You guys rock.